Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be sure, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Father, we are thankful for for prayer. We are thankful, Father, that we can come to you with confidence that you not only hear us, but that you will answer. Father, I pray that you would teach us uh, to come with the right motives, with the right heart, with the right requests. Uh, Father, we, we want to pray effectively. God, we want the best things for our family. Uh, we want the best life for our children. Uh, we want the best things for our church. And so, Lord, teach us what those are. Teach us how, how to ask for those and to have them. God, you're good and you're faithful. And I pray that you'd work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Oftentimes, as you read through your, uh, your Bible, uh, when you come to a prayer, I just know this because I've, I've seen it. I've probably seen it even in myself. A lot of times, we, we kind of put that a notch lower than the rest of the Scriptures. You know, you come along, you're reading in the Bible. And Paul says, hey, do this, do that. Here's how you handle this situation. Here's what's really important. Here's a command from God. And then he says, and I want to pray. And oftentimes, we kind of skip over that maybe or slide through it quickly or maybe don't put on it the significance that we ought to put on it. I actually think the prayers of the New Testament Testament are incredibly valuable in understanding how we ought to pray, okay? Now, let me just say this. I, I, think, I think however you come to the Lord, I want you to come to the Lord, okay? I want you to come to the Lord for whatever, uh, whatever's on your heart, whatever, whatever desire uh, is in your heart. I think you ought to go to God for that. I don't think there's a wrong prayer if it's said in sincerity, if it's said in, uh, in um in honor to the Lord, I, I think that's fine. Uh, Carly's brother, Cale, uh, put on Facebook the other day, I think his squirrel died, and he was upset about that and asked him for prayer. And, hey, you know what? I mean, I don't know why you'd have a pet squirrel, but if you do and, 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 and you're sad about it, I think you ought to be able to go to the Lord with that. I think you ought to be able to go to the Lord with anything in your life. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I don't think there's a wrong prayer, okay? I, I think God the Father says, you are my children. I want you to come to me, okay? Now, having said that, I do think as we look in the Bible, we see there are more effective ways of praying than others, okay? Uh, we, we see that there are things that we ought to pray for that maybe aren't on our radar screen that are really important. The thing that jumps out of me immediately about the prayers of the New Testament are how many of them focus in on your spiritual life, particular parts of your spiritual life, especially your relationship with other people, and especially how you will be found on the judgment day. Those things are prayed over and over in the Bible, and I think they give us a clue of how we ought to pray effectively. You remember what the disciples said to Jesus? They said to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. I think they saw something in Jesus' prayers that they didn't see in their own prayers. And Jesus gives us maybe a, a clue to that in, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 7. Listen to this verse. He says, if you abide in me, okay, what, what does that mean? That means if you're drawing your life from me, if you're coming to me, if you're relentlessly depending on and seeking me, okay? And then notice this next part. And my words abide in you, okay? So if, if, if the truth of the word of God is, is, is coming into my life and I'm owning it, 
And I'm beginning to think the way the Bible thinks. I'm beginning to speak the way the Bible speaks. I'm beginning to value, to appraise, to, to, to prioritize the way the Bible does. Then listen to this next part. Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Man, that piques my interest. Whenever the Bible says, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you, I'm like, okay, I'm in on that. All right, that, that, that sounds really effective. That sounds really appealing to me. And, and so I think what we ought to do with the scriptures is, is in our prayers, we ought to pray the scriptures. We had to pray biblically. We had to look at what did Paul pray? What did Jesus pray? What did the psalmist pray? How did they pray? How did they come to God? I, 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 want, to, I want to pray that way. And I want to pray that way because really what you pray about diligently tells a lot about what you desire. Uh, prayers are essentially your desires expressed to God. Are they not? Now, now, now that's a little scary sometimes because it, first of all, that tips us off why, why we may... Why we may struggle to pray sometimes. You know why we're going to say we struggle to pray? We're going to say we struggle to pray because we don't have time. That's fooey. Okay? I mean, it just really is. Um, it's just not true. We all have the same amount of time. You spend your time on what you want to spend it on. I know you got, you got work. People have different work schedules. I understand all that. But, but, but the priority is we, we do what we really want to do. Okay? So I really don't think that's not why we pray. I think why we pray, two reasons. I think number one... I think why people struggle to pray is, number one, our desires for the right things are low. Okay? I think a lot of times we, we have got large desires, you know, for a new bass boat, a new motorcycle. You know? Every time I see Helen drive up in her Hummer, I'm like, man, if I had a Hummer, I could go anywhere. You know? I mean, we, we, have, we have those desire, okay? We, a lot of times our desires for those things are high. But when, when it talks about, you know, how much do I really desire for the people in my neighborhood to come to know Christ. How much do I really desire to, 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 to live out faith in my life, to love my, my neighbor, to, to, to meet practical needs in my community? I mean, how high are my desires for those things? And I think a lot of times our desires are low, and that's why our prayers are low. Or other times, maybe our desires might be high, but we just don't trust God. We don't trust God for the right things. So I really think that's at the heart of why we don't pray. And so I think as we go to the Bible, this is really helpful. Because as we read what the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, what he prays, that tells me a couple things. It tells me that's what I ought to desire, okay? My desire ought to be high for the things that he lists off, okay? And it tells me how how I ought to take these things into my life, own them for my own, and then say, God, I want them. God, this is what I want. You know, you've told me, man, this, this is what's going to satisfy me. This is what's going to make me whole. And so I want to come to you relentlessly and ask for these things. So what does Paul ask for? Well, one big thing, and then the rest is almost kind of wrapping around this one big thing. In verse 9, he says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more. That your love may abound more and more. Paul prays that, that, that his love... That their love for each other and for God would abound more and more. Now, here's what's interesting. They already have a love. If if you remember last week's sermon, we looked at the church at Philippi. We looked at how Paul saw the church, how the church saw each other. This is a healthy church. This is a good church. They're loving each other. They're, They're doing things right. They're taking care of each other. But here's the deal about love. There's never a cap on how much you love, okay? You know, there's never a day where I'm going to wake up in the morning and turn over, you know, to Emma and say, hey, honey, you know what? I just realized I have capped out on my love for you. You know, I'm at the top, you know? I, I finally, I've achieved it. I love you as much as is possible. And so, honey, I'm cruising right here for the rest of our lives, you know? That's never going to happen. You never love your neighbor as much as you should love your neighbor. You never love God as much as you 
you should love God. You never love your family as much as you should love. There's never a time where you're like, I don't need any more of that. That's not true in the case of love. And in fact, when we think about biblical love, it's tied to everything. Okay, spiritual maturity. Okay, you can't grow in spiritual maturity unless you grow in love for God and for others. Okay, please hear that. There are a lot of people that think, you know what? If I listen to to, to a thousand sermons and if I if, if I memorize a hundred verses and if I go to every religious service, that's going to make me spiritual mature. I think that's going to help. I think that's going to be a really helpful tool in your life. But you know what? If you do not increase in your love for other people, you are not growing. You are not growing. That, that's what the Bible says. Y- your growth in Christ is, is grounded in love. Now, let, let, let me answer this question. This is a question I had when I read this. Verse 9 says, It's my prayer that your love would abound more and more, it would overflow more and more. Love for who? Is it, is it love for God or is it love for, for people? I've used both already in this sermon. I think what Paul has in mind is love for people. Let me tell you why. Because the context would be, um, uh, how, how they feel about each other. Verse 8, he says, God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. But even more so, when I look at other prayers of the Apostle Paul, he prays the same thing. You know why? Because it's really important. Okay, and let, 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 me, let me read you a couple of those prayers. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. And then he goes and clarifies, for one another and for all as we do for you. Later in the same book, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10, he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Okay, so, so as we look through the rest of the Bible, we see it's very clear. But, I mean, Paul prays this continually for other believers. I want you to love each other more and more. You know? and, and so I think that's what he's doing here in Philippians. But you know what? Let, let's say you disagree with me today. That's okay. Let's say you're like, man, I look at this, Pastor, when I read verse 9, and it says, I pray that your love would abound more and more. I think he's talking about our love for God. Sweet. Doesn't matter. Doesn't change anything I'm about to say, okay? In other words, you can be right, I can be right, we can both be right, we can both be right. It doesn't matter because love for God and love for neighbor are connected. Did you know that in the Bible? They are connected, okay? Nobody grows in their love for God And does not at the same time grow in their love for other people. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Those two are connected. They grow together. There's an entire book of the New Testament. I'm sorry, an entire chapter of the New Testament that drives this home. Let me read you some selected verses out of 1 John chapter 4. Listen to these. 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to begin in uh, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love, okay? The nature of God is love. The more you come to know God, the more you love, all right? Uh, Let's keep going. Let's read verses 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us. You see how these are connected? If we love one another, God's abiding in us. His power is in us, and His love is being perfected in us. Here's here's the, the most convincing of all. Verses 19 and 20. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So here's the deal. If you find yourself thinking to yourself, man, I am really growing in my faith. And at the same time, you've got bitterness that you won't deal with. You've got resentment against other people that you're not dealing with, that you've just accepted, that you're just owning, that you're just living in. Let me tell you, you are not growing in your relationship with God. I mean, I just hate that. You say, how can you judge me? Well, I can judge you because the Bible says you're not. And I'm saying that about me. I mean, my relationship with others, my relationship with my wife. I'm not saying that everything has to be good. There's times where people are just cranky and there's nothing you can do about it, you know. But you know what? I can love them in their crankiness. I cannot sin in that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about my, my, my heart toward them. I'm not talking about the situation. Sometimes the situation is going to be bad. And there's nothing you can do about it. But I'm talking about my heart toward them. Okay, those two are are essentially connected to one another. Now, so what's Paul praying? Paul is praying, man, that your love would abound more and more. That, that, that's what I'm praying for you. That's the big thing. That's the thing I really want for you. That's the thing that you really ought to want for yourself. That's the thing that you ought to want for this church is that our love for one another would grow. It would abound. It would overflow. Now, notice what he, what he adds to that, okay? He says that your love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Is there a type of love that is without knowledge and discernment, that is not based on what we know about God and about the cross and about the gospel, there is a type of love, I believe, based on simply a very thin sheet of things are going good. Okay, now, I want to apply this to a very particular time in a Christian's life. Whenever you're a brand new believer, okay, brand new believer, and all of a sudden you, you get to know the church, and you maybe get in a small group, there's a lot of folks that have an immediate, like, this is awesome, okay? I mean, I can't tell you how many people have come to me after coming to this church for a month or two. They got involved in a small group. People cared for them. People reached out to them. They found out that so-and-so fishes too and so-and-so sows too. And, man, they're talking about the Bible. They've never done that before, you know, and, and they've got someone to, you know, pray for them. And they're like, this is the best church. I've had people come up to me after being here a couple months and say, man, this is the best church ever. And I just love all these people and everybody's so good and everybody's so nice and everybody's so wonderful. And there's such a spirit of God here. And I shake their hand and I smile and I'm happy for them and inside I'm saying it ain't gonna last I hope you grow deep okay because it it really isn't okay now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with our church I love this church I I would not be here 16 years if I did not love you guys and think that God is at work among us all of our services great church but here's the reality about people we're sinners and then God is progressing us and moving us if he's not you're in trouble Okay, if you're a genuine believer, he's moving you, but you're still, you're still, you're still, you still fail. And not only that, not only do you fail, but you got tough things in your life, don't you? This last week, we had several of our, our church members, I think the Stovalls had a death in their family, and Jason Moore lost his dad. You know, our, our brother over in Shattuck, pastor in, in Shattuck, longtime pastor of the First Baptist Church in Shattuck, lost his son to a car accident yesterday. I mean, hard things happen in people's lives. Not only that, but people have crushing things in their jobs. They've got, they've got difficult things in their marriage. They've got financial strain. They've got, you know, just things happen, don't they, church? And, and if your love is just resting on this thin sheet of, man, things are so awesome right now. Things are so good right now. What's going to happen when things aren't awesome? What's going to happen when they're hard? What's going to happen when there's trial and difficulty? You know what often happens? Those same people that said this is the most awesome church in the world. I see them in Walmart and I say, how come you haven't been, man? We've been missing you. That church stinks. 
I'm like, oh, man, it was awesome a year ago. What happened, you know? Well, nothing happened, really. But listen, their love was not based in knowledge. What kind of knowledge? Man, I'm asking all kinds of questions today, aren't I? I, I, can, I, I can be certain about this one. I know exactly what Paul is saying because I just flip over one book to Ephesians and he's praying for his people again. He's praying for the bride. Paul does this all the time. Paul prays for other Christians. And notice what he prays. Ephesians 1.17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay? So I think we can be really certain that when Paul prays in Philippians, I pray that your love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. He's talking about the knowledge of Jesus, the knowledge of the gospel. Now, doesn't it make sense that the deeper you grow in knowing God, the more you love? Why? Because we just read in 1 John 4 that God is what? He's love. His character is love. His nature is love. How do we know love? Guys, how do we know? How, to, how in the world do you love your wife? You don't understand her. You don't know why she does the things she does. You haven't got a clue what she wants sometimes. She wants you to guess. You, you, you can't guess. How do you love your wife? Ephesians 5 says you love her as Christ loves the church. There's your model. There's your model. It's right there. So, so the, the deeper I grow in my knowledge of God, the deeper I, I grow in how God loves me and how God treats me and how God pours out his grace on me and how God sacrificed for me and how God is patient with me and gracious with me, even when I was his enemy, the more I come to own that, the deeper I grow in my love for other people. Doesn't that make sense? So, so instead of this thin sheet of, man, I love you because everything's going great, Now it begins to be this deep thing of I love you because Christ has loved me. Christ has died for me. Christ has taken away my sins. Christ has forgiven me. Christ has given me his Holy Spirit. Christ is always with me. Christ is my provider. Christ is my protector. Christ is is the one who's going to glorify himself in in the new heavens and the new earth. And I'm going to be there with him forever and ever. That's what Jesus is. And it's a deep thing. It begins to be a deep thing. And now all of a sudden I'm loving people because of what Jesus has done in me. My knowledge of God. Listen, if you're that person that says, man, I ain't forgiven. You know what that means? You have an issue with understanding how you've been forgiven. If you're that person that says, I'm not showing mercy. You've got an issue of not understanding what mercy has been shown to you. This is a great passage in Matthew 18. It's a, it's a parable. It's a story. And, uh, Jesus tells the story of, of this, this guy who comes to the king, and they're going to settle accounts, right? And so the king looks in the books, and he's this guy's been embezzling. He's been doing something bad because he owes the king like 10,000 talents of silver, millions and millions and millions of dollars. And he's a servant, okay? Uh-oh. No way he can pay. No way he can ever pay. And so the king says, you're going to jail. Your family's going to jail. Everything you've got. Your family's being sold into slavery. And I'm gonna, we're going to recoup as much of the money as we can. Everything you've got is being sold. Your life is over. The guy drops to his knees and he begs. That's all he can do is beg. Have mercy. Have mercy. The king, out of his own goodness, has mercy. And you know what he does? He says, your debt's paid. I pay it. You're forgiven. 
You're free. You don't know a thing. Go. Live your life. That guy walks out of there. Free man. Forgiven completely. It's gone. Down the steps, into the courtyard, and he sees his buddy who owes him 20 bucks. 100 denera, I think it is in the scriptures. He grabs the guy by the throat and he says, you give me my money. Give me my 20 bucks. The guy says, you know what, I'm sorry, I, I don't have it right now. Just give me a little time. The guy says, I'm not giving you nothing. Puts him in a headlock, grabs him by the throat, drags him to the prison, locks him up, and says, you're not getting out of here until you pay me every dime of that, every cent. What do you think the king feels about that? He says, whoa, 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 whoa. Get that guy back up here. It's almost a ridiculous story, isn't it? The guy ends up being thrown into the tortures and... But, but it's a ridiculous story. It's meant to be. It's meant to, it's meant to make people go, what? How could a guy that's just been forgiven a debt of a mi- millions of dollars, how could he care about 20 bucks? And, and the, the point of the, the sermon, the point of the story is, that guy must not realize what he's been forgiven. Same thing with us. Man, if, if you can't give mercy, it's because you don't understand what mercy has been given to you. If you can't give forgiveness, and you don't understand the forgiveness that's been given to you. If you can't give grace, you don't understand how much grace you get every day. <laughs> you deserve to be in hell. And God's been good. So Paul prays, I pray that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and, and also in discernment. Notice that. You guys see that? See that in your, your, your text? It says, um, and with knowledge and discernment. You know, why discernment? Well, it's kind of hard to really love people well, isn't it? That takes discernment. What, what, is it, what does it mean if this happens, okay? What does it mean? I mean, what does that look like? What, what does that look like if we, if we begin to love, if our love begins to abound more and more? What does that look like? You see, it takes discernment to realize what does that look like to love people? I mean, what do we think, church? You know, if right now the Spirit of God begins to move and begins to answer that prayer, you know, and we're going to, we're all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're going to abound in love for one another. What, what, what is that going to look like? Is that going to look like Ed Evans gets up, you know, tears start coming down. and He comes over and he gives Shelby a great big hug. And those two guys start boo-hooing. And Fred gets up and he comes over and he's booing. Jeff and Randall, they come over and, you know, all of a sudden they, they start singing, you know. Kumbaya, more, kumbaya. Is that what it looks like? Gosh, I hope not. I mean, if that's what God wants to do, that's awesome. But, but, but I think, listen, I think, I think it's going to look like something else. What is it going to look like to really love people well? What? Well, that demands some discernment, doesn't it? Because listen, think about this. Love seeks the highest good for the one who is loved. That, that's, that's a biblical thing about love. Biblical love says, I, I want to do what's best for you. I'm, I'm going to love you in doing what is best for you. I'm going to meet a need in your life. That, that's what biblical love does. Do, do you remember the story in, in Luke chapter 10 where, where Jesus is talking with these guys? What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And there, there's, a, there's a guy he's trying to weasel out of. He's like, well, yeah, but who's my neighbor? Do I get a pick? You know, because if I get a pick, I ain't picking that guy. You know, I mean, he, he wants to like pick who he, and Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. There's a guy who's walking, going down a road and bandits come and they ambush him and they beat him to a pulp and they take all his money and they throw him in a ditch. And then there's a, there's a priest that comes by, a preacher, 
You know, the priest sees it. He's like, yikes. You know, I don't have time for that. He goes to the other side of the road, goes on by. Levite comes by, guy that works at the temple. He's like, wow, man, I don't want any pizza. Those guys may be still around. He takes off. A Samaritan, a guy who's supposed to be a no good, you know, enemy. He comes by, man, he, he goes in the ditch. Binds the guy's wounds up, puts oil on him, medicine, puts him on his animal, takes him into town, buys him a room. Jesus says, hey, which guy, which guy loved his neighbor? Well, it's the guy that met a real need, right? You know what? It takes, it takes discernment to meet needs, doesn't it? To love people well. Now, what does it look like to love? What does it look like to love your wife well? I mean, literally, I, I, I'm doing that better, hopefully. I'm doing that better than I did 20 years ago. And, and I think it's because of knowledge and discernment, you know, figuring out, God, what does that mean to love people? What does, it, what does that look like practically? And you know what happens when, when, you, when you apply knowledge and discernment to your love? Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent. If you've got an NIV, it says, uh, discern what is best. This is, a, this is an act of kind of discerning what, what's the best thing, what's the most valuable thing, what, how, what's the best way to live. Hebrews 5.14 talks about discernment in this way. It says, but solid food, speaking of the scriptures, is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It's that process of saying, okay, this is not good, this is sin, this is not good, this is okay, this is better, and this is best. I mean, it's that kind of process. And, and Paul says, man, you need that. You, you need that if you're going to love people well. I mean, how do you love a family? How do you love kids? How do you love kids? You know what some people think? Give them whatever they want. You know? Dad, I got sneakers, but I really want the $150 pair. Give them to me now. How do you love that kid? With a boy. No, anyway. Uh, there'd be different opinions on that. But, but do you see what I'm saying? I mean, how, what does it mean to love your kid? Wow, there's all kinds of issues there, isn't there? You know, when is it loving for a kid to have a cell phone? When's it, how much, you know, if you love your kid, how much time should it been on the internet? You know, what kind of movies and TV should they watch? I mean, what, how, do you, how do you navigate romantic relationships? You know, what clothes should they wear? What, I mean, isn't all that part of loving your child? Saying, man, I love you. I want what is best for you. And God, I need knowledge and discernment to approve what is excellent. How about not just our kids, but how about our own life? How about our own life? Man, what's, what's the best thing here? What, 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 what's excellent? What about my priorities? How, what should I give my life to? You know, the more you grow in love for, for people and for God, it's funny how, how what was important is not important and things that weren't important become really important. I mean, you, you see this, I know I'm talking a lot about marriage, but that, that's kind of the closest relationship. You, you see this in marriage. You know, when, when, when you first get married, there's things that are a huge deal, right? Right? He doesn't take his plate in, you know? She leaves the computer on all night, you know? He doesn't put his shoes up. You know, they're always late. They lose the cap on the toothpaste and it goes all out in the drawer. Here's what Emma said about me. And it's true. He asks a question, then he doesn't let me answer it. I'm working. I've had couples come to me for marriage counseling with I'm grateful. 
for to have people come. I love, I'm not a, I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't want to be. Um, but I, I just give them the gospel. I tell them what the Bible says about marriage. But I, I'm amazed at people who come and it's not infidelity. It's not abuse. It's not some horrific thing. It's a little thing. And it's about to blow the deal up. I'm like, really? Really? He doesn't take his plate in. And this deal's about to end. Call me. I'll come over and take his plate in. <laughs> we'll, we'll save the marriage. We'll, we'll, get, we'll gather up a group of men who will take a night, you know. But it's funny how the more you, you love somebody, all of a sudden those things aren't that big. Isn't that, isn't that funny? But other things are big, you know. The condition of their soul, that's big. Do you see how love changes things? You know, as a parent, we might, we might be desperately, intensely concerned about, are they going to make the team? But not concerned about their soul. Man, the more you grow in love, all of a sudden, things begin to change, don't they? Well, you didn't make the same team, buddy, but that, that's okay. But here's what I'm really concerned about. I'm really concerned about the condition of your soul. I'm really concerned about, you know, your maturity. I'm really concerned about these things the Bible says I should be concerned about. Because I love you. It's true in a church too, isn't it? Have you ever heard of a church splitting over stained glass, carpet? Do we get a dove or a cross? Fist fight in the parking lot over it? You know what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is there's a lack of love. Right? That's what's wrong with that. Love is not abounding. It's not abounding. So, as we pray for love to abound more and more in knowledge and discernment, that we might approve what is excellent, figure out what's really important. What's the purpose? So that we might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Pure and blameless. Those two words are kind of neat words. The word pure is a word that means like sincere, like you're not fake, you're not a fraud. You know, if you have have pure gold, it's not mixed with anything, right? So it's like an integrity word, okay? And so the Bible is saying, I want you to to love one another more and more and approve what is excellent so that you won't be a fraud on the day of judgment, on the day of Christ. The word blameless means so that you don't cause anybody to stumble. Okay, blameless in the fact that you didn't do it. Okay, do you know how many times someone stumbles in their faith and it's because somebody else lacked love? I think most of the time, most of the time, that's the reason. The most convicting part of this sermon for me was this whole emphasis that Paul lays on the day of Christ. Not just in this passage, but as I begin to look at that phrase, Paul talks about that all the time. And, and, you know, I was, I was thinking about, do I pray this way? And, and actually, you know, let me congratulate myself here. This will be worth nothing now that I've said it publicly. But I, I pray a lot that God would help me to love you guys. And that, that God would help you to love each other. I, I pray a lot about that. I, actually, I got that from Ephesians and Philippians. Uh, I've been doing that for years. I don't pray very much about the day of Christ. I, I think that's something I need to correct. Because when, when you look at how Paul looks at the day of Christ... Here's the way I think Paul is expressing. That's the only day that really matters in your life. Have you ever thought about that? 
I mean, really, I mean, it's the only day that matters. So many times we're so worried about today. Like, what if, what if I don't get the order out? What if I don't get, you know, this done, man, everything? No, it really is probably not going to matter, okay? I mean, really, if you don't get the order out, you lose your job, you get another one. You know, in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not a big deal. But there's a day coming that, that what happens on that day makes it all, okay? I mean, I mean it, it either, it redefines every day at, before that. Okay, so that what happens when Jesus comes back on that day, when 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 the Bible tells us first Corinthians chapter three, verse 13 says, says the the believers and unbelievers will be separated, the sheep from the goats lost from the saved. Okay, the lost to damnation, the saved to the kingdom of God. But even among those who are believers, us who who claim Christ, who are Christians, if you're here today and you're joining Jesus Christ, first Corinthians three, 13 says each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it'll be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. But only as through fire. Your whole life is going to be, be displayed before God. And what happens on that day defines every day before it. Whether it was a waste or whether it was lived for the glory of Jesus. Whether it was covered with the blood of, of Christ or whether, whether you've got to pay for the sins of those days. And really that day defines every day after that day. You're either going to enter into glory, into fullness of joy. It'll either be the first day of pleasures forever. The first day of living and working and loving and enjoying all things in Christ to the glory of God. Or it will be the first day of hell for you. The first day of eternal regret. The first day of a hopeless eternity. The first day of being totally alone. Away from God. Away from all that is good. The worst day of your existence as you stare into an eternity that will never, ever, ever, ever be better. That day is a significant day. I think we ought to pray about that. It would seem... So Paul says, man, I want you to be pure and blameless on that day. I don't want you to be found a hypocrite. I don't want you to be found a fraud, a phony, a fake. I want you to be real, the real thing. I don't want you to be found on that day to have been a stumbling block to other people in faith. And then verse 11, I want you to be found to be fruitful with the fruit that comes through Jesus Christ. Fruit, fruit's a great term in the New Testament. John 15, we were in there earlier, gives us this great picture of of Jesus as the vine, Jesus as the trunk of the tree, if you will. And we're the branches, okay? And the way you bear fruit is not by gutting it out. You know, have you you ever noticed a tree? You never walk out and the branch is like, you know, wiggling, you know, really trying to get that fruit out, you know. You know, it's not the way it happens. The branch is connected to the vine and the life of the vine brings about fruit. So what does that mean for us? What that means for us is as I depend on Jesus, as I trust in Jesus, as I lean on Jesus, as I obey Jesus, as I ask for the things that Jesus tells me to ask for, as I, as I value the things Jesus values, as I, as I abide in him, you know what happens? The spirit of God begins to produce fruit. See, that's very different than being religious. That's very different than saying, oh, I'm going to go do religious things because I feel guilty. I'm going to go to church because I feel bad because I haven't been in a while. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible because I know I'm supposed to. That's not fruit. <laughs> you, you can be religious and lost and mean and callous and selfish. But fruit is, I'm coming to Jesus, depending on Jesus, looking to Jesus, leaning on Jesus. And Jesus' life's going to flow in me. And it's going to produce a certain type of thing out of me. 
And Paul says, on that day, I want, as your life is exposed, I want it to be fruitful. I want there to be a Christian life that lays out there that's full of fruit, full of the way you loved people, the way you met needs, the way you cared for people, the way you prayed for people, the way you loved God, the way you worshiped, the fruit of Christ. I want that to be in your life. Why? Last phrase, to the glory and praise of God, that your life may be what it's supposed to be. The reason you're, you, you exist, the reason you're created, is to glorify God. Maybe a, a display of Christ's goodness. Man, church, let's ask for those things. Shall we? Hey, you know what? We can do it right now. Let's do it right now. Let's pray. Father, please, God, make our love abound more and more. God, I pray that you would just put a great love in us for each other. God, help us to love you first and foremost. And God, as we just receive and bask in your love, God, help us to love our families, our husbands, our wives, our children, our parents. God, help us to love our neighbors. God, help us to love our church. God, I pray that you would give us knowledge and discernment. God, show us how to love. God, show us what that looks like, what that means. God, help us to prove what's best, what's excellent. Help us to value, prioritize the the right things. To make the big things big and the small things small. God, I pray that you'd make us fruitful. God, that, that you would produce supernatural deeds of righteousness and goodness and faith and love and purity. God, that it would be to your glory. God, give that to us, please. We want it. God, we want it. We want to see our love grow today. In Jesus' name, amen.